next door brother Three weekend rows of town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies Anyway, hey, it's good to be home. Did you have a good couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah great. I um, had listened to Sarah's message last week. It was excellent, wasn't it? Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. Um, so um, this morning, uh, lots of people have been saying, how, how is Bethel? T- tell me about Bethel. And so uh, I've just been saying, I'll wait till tomorrow. I'll tell you some stories. So, um, so I, this morning, I want to I wanna read a passage of Scripture. Um, then I'm going to share some stories, and then I'll, I'll give you some thoughts, and then we'll um, sort of see where we go from there. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, um, if you turn to uh, Luke 4, sorry, Mark 4, um, and I want to read the, the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower, and, um, and then we'll go from there. Am I right, Mark 4? Cool. And it says this, and starting in verse 4, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat, and he sat out in the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came out out and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear again. And still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. And ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes along and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others are like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Let me pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for your word. And Father, we thank you that, that right now as, as we gather, uh, as we gather around your scriptures, as we gather around your word, we, we know that you speak into our hearts. And, and Father, I pray that this morning that our, our hearts would be open, that our, that our ears would see what you're trying to do, that our, that our, ear, that, sorry, that our eyes would see and that our ears would hear uh, what you want to speak to us this morning. 
Father, we pray that our hearts would be good soil this morning. We thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Um, so uh, I wanted to start out um, just by sharing a, a couple of stories. Um, so last, not last Sunday, the Sunday before, we, we headed off to the airport. Um, and, and so we, we were getting checked in, uh, did all the thing. And I, 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 does anyone here like to be early for things? Like, I'm a person, I'm like, we need to be early. If we're going to go, let's be an hour early, just in case, you know, my dad used to always say, just in case we get a flat tire, we need enough time to be able to change the tire and still get there on time. And so I'm a, I like to be early. And so we were, we were there about an hour early, and we're checking in, and, uh, and uh, the thing pops up, what's your Esther number, your visa? And, and I look at it and go, I go to Ali, what's an Esther? And... Uh, <laughs> And and so we don't we don't have one of these things, and we go up to the uh, to the lady and we say, "What's an Esther?" And uh, the lady's like, "Do you not have one?" And we're like, "No, we don't even know what one is." And she's like, "Oh my goodness, you can't go if you don't have an Esther." And so so rewind this back a little bit. We went to a, a travel agent because we've we've never travelled anywhere other than Australia, or I, I did when I was younger. But So we went to a travel agent and we went to them and said, we've never been to America, so we're coming to you so you can make sure we've got everything we need before we go. Um, he never told us that we need a visa or, or an Esther to be able to get into America. And so we turn up there uh, and we don't have one. The lady says, you better jump online quickly and see if you can get one. And it can take up to 72 hours. <sighs> All right, so we're like, we're like freaking out right now. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, God, what, what are you trying to teach us uh, right now? And uh, so we jump online quickly and, and we, we do all the stuff. We, we type it in and, and, we, uh, and so we, we, it, it, you know, it, we pay for it. And so we've got, uh, we need to check in by 11.45. Uh, if we don't check in by 11.45, the lady said, you can still go to Auckland, but they won't check your bags through, and we've got like an hour layover at Auckland, we've got to get to the international airport, there's no way we could get our bags and get there, so it's like stress, we're, we're stress monkeys, eh? <laughs> like stressing out, um, and so we, we go up to the lady, and, and she says, all right, uh, I'm checking my emails like every three seconds, you know, like, has it come through, has it come through, has it come through, hasn't come through, she said, I'm just going to check online, but sometimes it comes through online before you get the email. Um, and so we're checking in at 11.45, 11.44, we get approved. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we're stressing out and it's, and it's all good. We've got, our, we've got our Esther and we're able to go to America. And, uh, and Ellie says to me later on, she says, how could we be so dumb? Um, but I, I said, the truth is you just don't know what you don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. And... Uh, and I, I realized uh, a bit later that that, for me, would define our whole trip, that you just don't know what you don't know. And, um, and so uh, after the first day uh, uh, at Bethel, we went straight there and went to a, a couple of services. And, and to be honest, our first experience of what uh, Bethel was like was not at Bethel. Uh, it was walking along the street, heading to a cafe and just seeing people praying for one another, uh, and walking into a cafe and seeing so many people having conversations about God, and, and praying for one another, and caring for one another. This, as, this is not at church, this, this is just in the community. And, and realizing that there's something very different about this place, 
there's something very different about this place. My, my feeling after the first day was this, and I felt like God said this to me, Michael, you are starving and you don't even know it. You're starving and you don't even know it. And I, I realized that there is like this, this wealth of, of um, hunger and passion for God um, that I was missing. And, and I, I, I think that I can probably take the liberty to say that if, if I'm the leader of this church, I can say that, that we are starving and we don't even know it. We are starving because we lack hunger. In the kingdom, that's how it works. We starve when we lack hunger. And so this sort of highlighted my whole trip. And, uh, and so a couple of um, um, stories I, uh, I got to experience probably for my first time, like an instant healing, which was um, pretty cool. Not, not myself, but when I, when I prayed for someone. Um, but we, we went to a, a meeting on, on the Saturday, which was uh, Activation in, in Supernatural, uh, which was really great. And it, it, even just during the seminar, there were people just yelling, oh my goodness, my back just got healed. And like no one's praying for them, they're just in the environment and you know, things are happening, God's moving. And, uh, and so it was just incredible to, to experience that and, and be a part of it. Um, one particular time, we, they got us into groups um, and, uh, and, and, and groups with people that specifically had an ailment. Um, and so I got into a group with, uh, with a couple of other people, and one of the students from um, their, their school uh, walked up to us. Before we got to ask um, what's going on with each other and find out what, what ailments we had, um, he just walks up and goes, oh, which one of you has got a headache? And the, the girl goes, yeah, that, that's me. And so he just had a word of knowledge um, that she had a headache. And he said, all right, let, let's pray for that. Um, so so we, we prayed for her, and she's like, yeah, I, th- I think it's getting better. But she said, it's actually like right down my neck. That's where the issue really is. And, and so, um, so I put my hand on, on, on her neck, and, and he just says, in, in the name of Jesus, pain be gone. And instantly, she just starts to weep. Um, and instantly, her neck was completely healed, like a real like instantaneous, like she just starts to cry. And I, I said to her, how long have you been like this? She's, she said, I have been in pain for over a year all through my neck, and she just was instantly healed, and I was like, wow, it's, you know, <laughs> praise God, um, but that's, that was just, that was just sort of normal, um, and, uh, and so, so there was, you know, lots of different experiences um, like that o- over the time, and, and but I, I want to um, sort of unpack some stuff um, this, this morning, but I want to wrap it around this idea that we, we just don't know what we don't know. And I personally believe, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, that, that um, often we, we completely miss the kingdom, um, mostly because we have mistaken the kingdom for the church. And we, we miss what God is doing in the, the realm of the kingdom because we have mistaken the kingdom for the church. And, and what happens is when we mistake the, the kingdom for the church, we, we have what I would call a church mindset. And, and so when we have a church mindset, we actually become event-driven, we become event-driven, um, uh, and that can be unintentionally, because we just don't know what we don't know. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up um, being taught the church. 
Um, it wasn't actually till I was, man, I've been a youth pastor for like seven years. The year before I moved uh, to Upper Hutt, I discovered what the kingdom was. You know, so I've grown up in the church. I, I'm a pastor in the church for like seven years, and I'm only just starting to discover what the kingdom is. Why? Because we, we were always taught the church. We were always taught the church. And so what happens is unintentionally we become event-driven. We have a church mindset, and, and so I would like to suggest to you this morning that the kingdom uh, is a culture, it's a lifestyle, it's not an event. And so what happens is when we attend the church as an event, we, become, we actually start to become validated by one another and we eventually burn out. But when we participate in the culture of heaven, we become validated by the love of the Father, and instead of burning out, we fire up. And we start to participate in what is a lifestyle and not just an event-based Christianity. See, the presence of God is not an event. Who knows that? That The presence of God is not an event. I don't know about you, but my Bible says that He is our ever-present help in time of need. That He is Emmanuel, God, with us. That, that he, is, he is the one who is always with us. It's an illusion. It's a lie that He was ever separate from us. No, He is always present every day, not just when we come to church on Sunday. He is present every day, every moment that we need Him, and every day that we turn our hearts and our affection towards Him. He's there. He's there. And so following Jesus is a lifestyle, not an event. Now, one thing that I, I want to be really clear about is so, sometimes when I, I will go to a conference or, or something like that, I get the opportunity to go to a number of different conferences and different churches. Um, often you come away, uh, this is me personally, and you might find yourself saying something like this. Um, you know, you think about the, the pastor or the leader of that particular church and you say, man, aren't they doing amazing things there? You know, isn't that church doing amazing things there? Um, and, and you almost, as a pastor, this is a trap, you, you go, what, what is it that they are doing so that we can take what they're doing and, and maybe it'll work here? You know, we can have that kind of, kind of thinking. Um, I, I didn't have that coming back from this trip. Because the only thing that you could say was, wow, look at what God is doing there. You, 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 just, you just can't, there's... A, the, the leaders there would hate that you ever attributed it to them. But, it, like, I just keep going around in my head. If God can do it in Reading, like, he could do it anywhere. Like, uh, uh, I was talking to Aaron yesterday, and, and Elodie's been there as well, but Reading really is, it, 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 there's nothing special at all about Reading. At all. In fact, I, we spent the whole time trying to find where the town was, like the actual center of the town. And in fact, one of the, the people at, at um, Bethel are doing a whole city beautification project, and one of their main things is trying to create the sense that this is downtown, because no one really knows where downtown is um, in Reading. Um, but really, it just, I just, like, wow, God. That's all I could think was, wow, God. Wow, God. And so there were, there were three things that I, I sort of, uh, that I would describe the environment, and I won't say Bethel, I would say I would describe the environment of Reading. 
And, and I would say that it's wrapped up in a total culture of honor and humility. But A, you, you go there and you will experience a deep love for God's presence. Just a really deep love for God's presence. And, and an absolute commitment to doing good and demonstrating the goodness of God. And the other thing that you will experience is a burning passion to see everyone walking in the freedom that Christ offers. We experienced that. There wasn't a meeting or a service that we went to where someone didn't pray over us, where someone didn't prophesy over us, where someone didn't encourage us, because that's just how people live there. And so, do you know what I mean? Like, you walk away every time going, man, I feel so encouraged. You know, like, I could, I could take on the world right now. There's an absolute commitment to doing good in their city. Um, on the last Sunday morning, Chris Bellaton was uh, talking about that very thing. And he said, well before they ever saw a miracle, they were committed to doing good in their city. They would say that that is the culture that the miraculous moves in. A commitment to doing good and seeing God's goodness spread around. You see, this is a lifestyle, not an event. It's a lifestyle, not an event. So here's my, here's my personal problem. I want to share with you what my personal problems are. I'll get vulnerable. And maybe, maybe you can relate to them. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But here's my personal problems. I am just way too distracted to rest in his presence. I am just way too busy to look for opportunities to do good. And the reality is, is that I am just too focused on myself to acknowledge the pain and brokenness around me. Maybe you can relate to these. In the parable of the sower, Jesus is talking about the different types of soil. And, and the soils represent the condition of our hearts. You know, the word is the same. The word that goes out, it's the kingdom. It's the message of the kingdom. But the soil is the condition of our heart. And, and I, I, I personally believe that um, we could all relate to probably the last or, or the second to last uh, type of soil. Not the one that got snuffed out early. I would suggest that that's not you because you're here. No, no the, the one that gets choked. I, I don't know about you, but I, I relate to that one. Uh, that's me. That's me. I, I'm the soil where, where I've, I've heard the message of the kingdom and I've received the message of the kingdom. And, and there's times when the message of the kingdom is alive and it's burning on the inside of me. And then there's times where I feel like it's just been choked out. Anyone else relate to that? And Jesus says, when he explains to the disciples why the message of the kingdom would be getting choked out, he says it's these things. He says it's the worries of life. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. It's the concerns of this world and the desire to be satisfied by this world. They are the things that will choke out the life of the kingdom in you. 
that they are the things that are going to restrict the Spirit of God in your life. They are the things that are going to distract you. They're going to, they're going to take you away from what God is wanting to do in your life. It's those things. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. It's the concerns of this world. Who knows that they are, they are big distractions for us. Big distractions. You know, I was uh, hearing someone recently talk about um, CAP, about Christians Against Poverty, and, and they noted this. They said that, that poverty has no regard for a bank account. What she was saying was this, that, that they have discovered that even the rich need CAP. That, that CAP is not just for those that don't have enough money. It's actually for those that have a poverty mindset. That, that poverty has no regard for a bank account. That, that we can have large incomes but still struggle with poverty because it's a mindset, not a spank, bank, spank account. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but this, here, here's what they noted. They noted this, that, that everyone always spends to their means. That everyone always spends to their means because, because we are be- deceived into believing that if I have more or have better that I will somehow be happier. That somehow that happiness and contentment is all wrapped up in what I own and what I have. And Jesus is saying, you are deceived. That mindset's going to choke out the Spirit of God in your life. That mindset is going to choke the kingdom moving in your life. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, we, we, we should not be unaware of the devil's schemes. We, we, can't, we can't afford to be ignorant about what he is doing and what he wants to do in our lives. But who knows that, that, that the enemy, if he can't, you know, I've heard someone say, if the enemy can't get you with sin, then he'll get you with busyness. But if he can distract you away from the kingdom, then he's won. But, but Paul's saying we cannot be ignorant of his schemes. And in Hevela um, Cunnington's book, Stronger Than the Struggle, she says this, But as Paul points out, we are not ignorant of his schemes. I have often heard the phrase, ignorance is bliss, which suggests that if I don't know something, then life is more comfortable, easy, and peaceful for me. But ignorance is not a godly way of thinking. Being ignorant of the enemy's schemes only leaves us as vulnerable to his tactics. Being spiritually illiterate doesn't mean the enemy will leave us alone. It means we are more likely to make critical mistakes due to a lack of full understanding. Ignorance will hurt us and leave us confused, dejected, and deceived. God did not call us to be spiritually blind. He called us to be spiritually alert. Who knows that our trip would have been a whole lot smoother if we knew that we needed to get an Esther. The stress, honestly, we were stress monkeys. You know what I mean? Like, we have just paid all of this money to get there, and because of one little thing, we're being told, you might not get there, or you might have to pay for another ticket, all because we didn't know what we didn't know. Friends, we, we cannot afford to be ignorant about how the devil will suck the life out of you, because he will, and he does. I realized I was starving, and I didn't know it. I 
So when we're starving, I'm actually quite hungry right now because I didn't have breakfast. But, <laughs> but uh, who knows that, that when we don't eat, we get hungry, yeah? <laughs> when we don't eat, we, we get hungry. That's how our physical body works. That's not how a spiritual man works. Who knows that, that the less that we eat, the less time we spend with Jesus, actually the less we try and get satisfied by him. At the less time we spend with Jesus, the, the more we are likely to try and get satisfied by the deceitfulness of wealth. The, the more that we are concerned about the things of this world. It's not how our spiritual man works. No, no, we get hungry when we spend time with him. We crave more of his presence the more that we're in his presence. That's, that's how it works. But we get busy. Hey, we get busy. Shane Willard recently said that busyness is usually the result of the belief that we can produce more than God can provide. Let me say that again. Busyness is usually the result of the belief that we can produce more than God can provide. Here's here's a question for us that I think we should consider. Are you forcing yourself out of God's timing because you haven't been content by God's presence? Are you forcing yourself out of God's timing because you haven't learned to be content by His presence? 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on to say, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and perceived themselves, and sorry, pierced themselves with many griefs. That passage often gets misquoted and people say that, that money is the root of all evil. No, it's, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. What Paul was not saying is that being rich is evil. No, he's saying if that's your pursuit in life, then it's going to cause destruction and decay. There's an ancient proverb that says contentment is the greatest wealth. Contentment is the greatest wealth. So the question that I've been asking myself is this. Why don't I value the presence of God like I should? Why don't I value the presence of God like I should? And, and I think a question that, that often young Christians uh, ask, or sometimes we can, we can ask this question as well, is, is why don't I feel Him all the time? You know, if God's presence is truly always here, why don't I feel Him all the time? Anyone ask that question? Why don't I feel Him all the time? Well, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that we are believers, not feelers. And so, you know, that's... Uh, we aren't going to always physically feel the presence of God, but He is here. He is here. But here's what I've discovered about myself, and I, this may be true of you as well, that I've discovered that I have no value for things that don't cost me. 
I have no value for things that don't cost me. Uh, our, our children, um, uh, like I'm concerned that we spoil our children way too much, you know what I mean? Like, like uh, they, they have toys and, and then it's like the next week they want more toys, you know, and, and trying to teach them the value of things is really important as, as a parent, isn't it? Trying to teach our kids the value of things because they actually just have no value for things that don't cost them. And so, you know, that we've bought them some expensive thing and then the next day it's outside in the rain. You know, and because they just don't care. And so we're trying to teach them the value of things. Uh, but it's the same for us. Well, we are just children in adults' bodies, really, hey? You know, like, we're just living out how our childhood uh, was. And, and so our, because our children have no value for what didn't cost them personally, I've discovered that I also don't have value for things that didn't cost me. See, I've discovered that my children... Um, in their minds, they feel like they will be satisfied with the latest toy. That's where their minds are at. But they don't realize this, but they do in the moment, is that they are actually only truly satisfied in the embrace of their mum and dad. That's when they are truly satisfied. But how quickly does it go from them knowing that in that moment to the next day trying to be satisfied again by I need a new toy. We are the same. We are only truly satisfied in the arms of our Father. That is, that is the only place that we will find true contentment. It's the only place that we will tr- find true satisfaction. So I'd like to suggest to you this morning that there is no price tag on the presence of God. That there is no price tag on the presence of God, but there is a cost. Who knows that praise is not really praise until it costs us something. See, we're told to bring a sacrifice of praise. And I I, want to... Um, just sit on this for a little bit so we can get this because I, I think sometimes we can misunderstand this. So we, we don't praise to get God to come here. Praise is not the... I used, to, I used to think this and I used to say this. Like Praise is like the password to God. You know what I mean? Like, you know, with thanks, a thanksgiving heart, that's how we, we get to God. No, no, that, that's a lie. No, no, we praise because he's already here. We praise because he made his way to us. And we, we are thankful for that and we are grateful for that and so we praise him. Uh, religion is the belief in two lies. That the first lie is that there is a divide between us and God and the second lie is that it's up to us to bridge the gap. That's the definition of religion. No, no, we praise because he is already here. Because he has made himself uh, uh, present with us. So, so what's the point in sacrifice? Here's what I've discovered about sacrifice is that a number of times in Scripture, uh, especially David, had this revelation that, that God didn't desire sacrifice. He says, you never desired sacrifice. No, you, you desired a broken and humble heart. That's what you wanted. It's like this revelation for David that, that all of this animal sacrifice and, and rituals uh, was actually 
not what God truly desired. He, he, he wanted the heart of his people. And he, he even said that God, God loves obedience over sacrifice. So, so what is sacrifice? A sacrifice for us is the, it's the practical expression of our hearts to God. God doesn't require it, but it demonstrates our heart. It, it demonstrates the soil that we are, and it shifts our attention and our affection towards him. It, it's saying, God, I want you so bad that, that I am going to lay this down, and I'm going to lay this down because I know that they are distractions. I know that these are the things that are just stopping me from seeing you. It's not about, God, here, here's something that's going to appease you. No, 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 it's saying, God, like I love you so much and I want to be in your presence so bad that these things that are distractions, I'm going to move away. I heard Bill Johnson over the weekend, he, he said that, that we either have a heart of worship or, or we have a, a, a distracted heart, sorry, a, a Sorry, a divided heart that, that feeds on distraction. And so we either have a heart of worship or a divided heart that feeds on distraction. And so I, I'm realizing that the more that I bring a sacrifice of praise, the more that I value his presence because it costs me something. Because it costs me something. And so I want to ask you this morning, what did your praise cost you? Did it cost you anything this morning? Will it cost you anything tomorrow? Just like our children, if, if God's presence was available at no cost, we would have a father with a world full of entitled, selfish children. No, we're called to lay down our lives in pursuit of him. So the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the concerns of this world. Does God offer us a solution for these things? He does. Um, maybe, um, Polly, do you want to jump up on the keys? That would be really nice, thanks. So the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the concerns of the world. What, what does God offer us in solution to this problem? I believe that God's solution to this problem is, is Sabbath. Is the art of Sabbath. A Sabbath is, uh, is generally understood to be the last day of the week. And we see this modeled throughout Scripture where, where God created for six days and then, then he rested. And what, what people have discovered over the years, some people did some tests on, on a few different things. I, I, I believe it was Constantine that um, decided that um, a 10-day week would be better. And so he actually changed things to a 10-day to a week. Um, what they found was that all of the horses started to die. Because the horses weren't made to go for 10 days in a row. They were made to go six days and rest one. Zoos, zoos have discovered that if they work their animals for seven days a week without a rest day, they become really sick. So a, a healthy rhythm for, for animals in a zoo is to be 
out for six days and then rested for one. See, this, this rhythm of life of working for six and resting for one is a, is a biblical um, rhythm. It's God's solution to the worries of this life. It's God's solution to the, to the stresses of our world. So Jesus said that the Sabbath was given for us, not for God. The Sabbath isn't a rule, it's not a law for us to appease God. No, it's given to us so that we would find rest. Sabbath is good for our soul. For me, Sabbath reminds me that my job is to receive, not achieve. Recently, um, Kanye West wrote a song. Isn't it great that we've been taught how to follow Jesus by Kanye West? He wrote a song called Closed on Sunday. Closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is a, is a restaurant in America where they close on Sunday. They're owned, owned by Christians. Why, why would they do that? Oh, like, think about it. A, a restaurant that potentially could make thousands and thousands of dollars on Sunday, especially with all the people going from church that want lunch, eh? like, said no. The, the pursuit of wealth is not more important than our time with God. We won't open on Sundays. And so Kanye West, he's pulling on that idea. He says, closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. Hold the selfies, put the gram away. Get your family, y'all hold hands and pray. When you got daughters, always keep them safe. Watch out for vipers, don't let them indoctrinate. Closed on Sunday, you're my Chick-fil-A. Raise raise, raise our sons, train them in the faith. Through temptations, make sure they're wide awake. Follow Jesus, listen and obey. No more living for the culture. We ain't nobody's slave. See, when Jesus ever talked about money, when he ever talked about the deceitfulness of riches, when he ever talked about the worries of this world, his number one concern was this. These things will enslave you. These things will enslave you. And when Kanye West said, no more living for this culture, what does he mean by that? You know, when, we, when we look at modern Western culture, there are a few things that, are, that are, it, it is uh, known by. It's like, what, what is the culture of this world? We need to be distracted because we can't face our pain. We need to be busy and be successful.
it, it's all about individualism. Live for yourself. Just do you, boo. Hey, like... <laughs> getting gangster up in here. Too much Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> but but that, that's the culture of this world. You know, like, I, honestly, I've had, had people say, oh, you know, the church is, is it's sucking up the culture of this world. You know, they've got lights and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you're missing the point. The culture of this world is individualism. It's living for yourself. It's, it's saying it's all about me and, and my life. It's, it's not, it's, to live opposite to the culture of this world is to say, I exist for something bigger than myself. I exist to see the kingdom of heaven come into this world. I, I love the presence of God. And when, when life gets busy and I feel like I'm stressed about the worries of this world, I lay it down as a sacrifice and I get before God. And I, say, I love your presence, God. That's living opposite to the culture of this world. It's saying, I, I, I don't care what the worries of this world are. I trust in my God. That's what living by the culture of heaven looks like. And for me, I, I realized that, that I was starving and I didn't even know it. Like the worries of this world. We went away, the week before we went away, our car blew up. <laughs> you know, well, it's still going, but it's stuffed, you know, like. And, and, you know, like the concern around trying to find the right car for five kids, my goodness. You know, like, yeah, bus. But, but we found ourselves getting sucked into this idea that we needed the biggest and the, the best. And as you know, we recently lost Ali's mum, which means we've inherited some money. And we could buy a nice flash car. We could. But actually, there's been this thing stirring in my heart that's going, why? Why? Why do you need that? What is it in your heart that you were trying to satisfy that has not been satisfied in, the, in God's presence? That you need that. And, and the best thing that we ever did was we decided to buy a cheap van. <laughs> Hopefully, if it passes its check this week. Let me finish with one last parable. Goodness, it's... Sorry. It's lunchtime. I'm hungry too. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when they had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Just before we went away, Annette had a, had a word. Uh, just we were praying, and she said, I just see you coming back with a bag of marbles. And, uh, and so that's been going over in my head the whole time we were away, a bag of marbles. What, what, is, what is that about? And, um, and I didn't physically come back with a bag of marbles, but I felt like I came back with something, S something that I want to give to you all. And... For me, I feel like I, I, I discovered the pearl of great price again. 
And, and I, I don't want to be distracted by that again. That, that his presence is enough. That, that he is enough. And, and so this morning, I, I want to, I've got some, some marbles. And, and I want to give, give them all away. If someone, if someone able to hand them out, I've got three things of marbles. I just want everyone to have a marble. I just want you to hold that in your hand just for a minute. I want you to imagine for a moment that this marble, I want you to hold it in your hand. Imagine for a moment that this marble was the pearl of great price. Like imagine that this marble was like the most valuable thing that you have ever found. Like what what would you do to keep that marble? Like what would you do to make sure that this marble was never lost? Like I, if I said to you all next week, like everybody bring your marbles back. Like, how many of us would have lost our marbles during the week, hey? Like, (laughs) someone's already lost their marbles, okay. (laughs) But, But what if this was the pearl of great price? Like, what if this was the kingdom? What, what would you do to steward that well? What would you do to carry that pearl well? Wherever you go, what would you do? How would you live? What would your life look like to carry the presence of God well? What is it that you would lay down to not lose this marble? What is it that you would set aside so that you could not lose it? More people have lost their marbles. Us humans aren't very good, are we? Here's the challenge that I want to leave you with this morning. I I, I want you to try and hold on to this marble for the week and and bring it back next week. Let's see who can bring back their marbles next week. (laughs) But what would it look like for you to set aside time to focus on Him? I wonder what it would look like if as a church we said that gathering to worship on a Sunday is truly the most important thing. Like for me in my life, I grew up in a family that said, closed on Sunday. Closed on Sunday. Sunday is our day where we meet with God. What if that was our heart, truly our heart? And we came with that sort of intention to meet with him, to gather with other believers and meet with him. I just want to leave you with that challenge this morning. This is the pearl of great price. What will you do to steward it well this week? Let me pray for us. Sorry, I've gone a little bit over time. 
Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. Father, I just thank you that you have given us solutions. Solutions to the things that would ensnare us. Solutions to the things that would enslave us. And we know that the deceitfulness of wealth, the the concerns of this world, they are the tactics of the enemy to, to suck the life out of us. And we get on the rat race. We think, I've just got to keep going. I've got to, I, I can't afford to rest. I can't afford to have a day where I rest. And in doing so, we miss you. We miss your kingdom. We, we miss the fact that if we took time to rest, maybe God, we, we would find you in that rest and find new strategies and new ways. So we just thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you that you lead us on the path of everlasting. We thank you, God, that that your ways are so good. We thank you that there are moments, just like the psalmist said in Psalm 23, where you make us lie down in green pastures. And sometimes we know that, God, you have to make us lie down because we're not good at that. So, Father, we just... Ask this week as we think about this marble and the pearl of great price, what will we do each day to value it, to spend time with you, to steward your presence this week? We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, God.